0: It's, uh, it's one of the best known introductions in English literature to a novel. You will recognize some of these words right away. I keep pointing over here. Soon I'll be able to do that again. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil. In the superlative degree of comparison only. Of course the introduction to a tale of two cities and you will quickly see this could have been written as an introduction to the biblical text we are looking at today. We are looking at Acts chapter 17 and the founding of two churches, two separate cities, and the experience could... It's just like this. It was so good and so bad. It was so hard and so easy. It was so discouraging and so encouraging. It was so full of darkness. It was so full of light. Oh, and it's so light today. Welcome this summer. We are in our series. We are calling it serve it up and we are looking at the founding and the beginning of Churches that are in the book of Acts and let me just say for many of us who have grown up in church We know about the first four chapters of the book of Acts and then we kind of get lost It's a big big book It's often been compared to first-century novels, and that it's also a very, very exciting story. Uh, a lot that happens within that. Think about no television, no cable. No, It's a very exciting story of the history of early Christianity, and we should spend more time with it, more time reading that, more time wrestling with how the gospel spreads and some of the difficulties and challenges and opportunities that they face along the way. And one of those is what happens when God seems to be doing something new and we're not ready for it? Well, what happens when God seems to be turning the page, very consistent with who God is and with God's character, but we weren't quite ready for it looking quite the way it is? Or, or what happens when you've given yourself to to following and, and doing the best you can to be obedient to what God has called you to do, and yet you find it to be difficult. Hard. You you find people standing in the way. And so we return once again. the book of Acts. And let me just remind you, one of the things we've experienced along the way, we we saw this incredible founding of the mother church in Jerusalem, and we saw that church embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then then they struggle. They struggle as opposition and persecution comes their way. They, They struggle with opening their doors, being welcoming. They they struggle with the diversity that God brings to them, and it turns out it's part of that new group that comes in that's willing to go where, where God is sending them out the door and out into the community and out into the world, taking the story of Jesus with them. And so we turn to Acts chapter 17. This is the Word of God. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And I think the the implication is there wasn't one in Amphipolis and Apollonia, but they get to Thessalonica and, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for this synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. And for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. And you may find that translated a bit differently in some of your English translations. Some will have he argued with them. Some will have he debated them. It's the same word that's used in Matthew and in, and in Mark to describe Jesus going to the temple and teaching the people. Uh, or excuse me, to the synagogue and teaching the people while he was there. And so Paul is going to use scripture to share the story of Jesus. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot they attack the home of Jason and by the way this is the first time we've encountered Jason luke tells us the story and mentions Jason like oh you all know who Jason is you've heard the story and probably the first readers knew exactly who Jason was this is our first encounter with Jason he must have been one of the early uh, early converts As Paul comes into this community and preaches with them, perhaps Paul and Silas are staying with him. Perhaps that's where the church is meeting outside of the synagogue and they are teaching. But they attack the home of of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they're disturbing our city too. Excuse me. Uh, And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, a very serious charge. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. This is the word of God for the people of God. A tale of two cities indeed. We can fast forward just a little bit. Paul will shortly after this time write a letter back to that first church, the church at Thessalonica, and in that letter he will say this to them, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition." And I'll just remind you a few weeks ago before summer camp and vacation that we looked at Acts chapter 16 where Paul goes to Philippi and there he is there for quite some time and he is preaching and he and Silas are arrested illegally and beaten and left in jail, a, a miraculous delivery good news that comes out of that, the jailer's life spared, the jailer's whole household uh, turning and believing in Christ and Paul is now reflecting on that and when I read these two stories back-to-back back as they appear in the book of Acts, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is these, they can't catch a break. They can't, they can't catch a break. I mean, I remember, remember when we we went back and we looked at the story of the church that laid their hands on Paul, laid their hands on his companions and said, we believe the Holy Spirit has led us to send you out. We commission you and send you out into the world to deliver this message, not knowing how difficult it was going to be. Not knowing how challenging it was going to be. Not knowing he was going to be beaten and arrested. Not knowing when he gets to the next city that it's going to begin with conversations and walking through scripture and teaching and and some people believing and then suddenly it all just kind of turns upside down. A group of people stirring up trouble, creating a riot, bringing them before the officials. Well, part of it, they've completely misunderstood, and part of it, they get exactly right. What a threat they say. These people have turned the world upside down. That's the literal phrase that's there. They have turned the world upside down. That's right, what they're doing. And they are a threat to Caesar. Now it's getting really serious. This whole, sea they take that really serious that there's only one King Caesar. There's just, there's just one. And I've got to say, the people who are stirring up trouble, somewhere along the way they have been listening and they got it right. They have been saying, wait a minute, Jesus is king. Wait a minute. This is about a bigger story. This is about a bigger event. This is about something much larger than we have ever imagined taking place. They're right about that. Whatever part of the message they heard, whatever rumor they were told, whatever part of the dialogue, we need to hear it again. That's the threat they posed. Wait a minute. They're saying there's another king. It's Jesus. And that was a threat. It was a threat to their livelihood. It was a threat to their safety. It was a threat, what's Rome going to think? And we need to chew on that for just a little bit. I remember as a child being taught, you need to invite Jesus into your heart to be Lord and Savior. How deep does that really run with us, to call Jesus Lord? How deep does it really run to say, wait a minute, Jesus is king before anything else? before anyone else. That's my allegiance. That's why we spent 18 months going back and looking at the life and the teachings and the words of Jesus. That's that's where they are. And so Paul goes through this story. Notice that phrase that that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and to die. But he is the Messiah. It's the first time we have that in the book of Acts. And and it may be something we're accustomed to. We see it every year. We celebrate Easter. but, But to think about that from their perspective, waiting for the chosen one, waiting for the anointed one, waiting for the Messiah, the one who's going to lead us back to the best days, the one who's going to set us free as the people of God, the one who's going to once again make God the true God. And you're telling us he was arrested? And didn't put up a fight? You, you're telling us that God let that happen? You're, you're telling us that? And it's, and it's interesting, it's not the first time we're told that Paul goes back and uses the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. We have many of those already in the sermons that Paul has presented in the book of Acts. And the story is, is clear it's about God choosing his people. The, the, the story is clear it includes slavery in Egypt and being set free. The story is clear it included the Babylonian exile and God setting them free. And the story is clear that along this way suffering has been the pattern. A suffering God with his people. A God who walks with them every day. A God who understands. And crucifixion and resurrection are a part of that story. So here's something to think about. How did they respond? How, how did they respond to what is taking place? The temptation, even today, is to turn to hate. The temptation today is to seek revenge. The temptation today is to give up. The temptation today is to lash out. The, the temptation today is I can post anything I want, I can say anything I want. I can... How did the early church respond? Some of you may know the name Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr is an individual, we, we refer to him as one of the church fathers. He was born right at the beginning of the 2nd century. Here's one of the ways he characterizes the change in what happens when people embrace the story of Jesus and Jesus becomes king. He writes, we who formerly hated and murdered one another now live together share the same table. We pray for our enemies and try to win those who hate us. This is a tale of two churches that are founded in difficult times. It's a tale of two communities that are responding very differently, but it's also a chance for us to look into their lives and to the response of those early Christian communities. How did they respond to opportunities and difficulties? How did they resist anger or deal with their anger? How did they resist the desire to hate or to seek revenge? Well, we'll come back to the letter that Paul writes to them a little bit later. But the power of the gospel is also the power that leads to reconciliation. It's a power that's ultimately grounded in the power of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And we have the opportunity as the people of God who live in a nation that just seems so divided to model a different way. We have the opportunity this week to respond differently. You you have the opportunity when you have conversations to turn it from hate to love. You have the opportunity this week instead of joining in name-calling and and running people, you have the opportunity to bring in another way, a better way, a way that Jesus did, a way that Jesus modeled And it turns out a way that the early church embraced seriously, even though it meant difficulty for them in their lives. And so Paul is rushed away, and Jason is there and has to post bond. We're not going to let this happen again. We're going to be very careful. And and Paul finds himself in Berea. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Uh, uh, the Greek word that's used for open-minded is eugenese or eugenisteros. It, it's, it, the U always means good. And when you can see it's good genes. It means they have good genes. That's what it means. It's, it, my mother called them, she said they're good people. My dad said, Act like you've been out in public before, okay? That's 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 something like that all the way, yeah. yeah. It, literally, it's it's good genes. It, it's well born. It's it's high born. It's it's open minded. It's tolerant. It's generous. It's it's translated that way. All, all these different ways, not just in the New Testament, but not, there's they're different. There's something about that community and it is interesting as the gospel goes to place to place, as as you go to place to place, there are places where God will send you and not everyone wants to listen. There are places where God will send you and and there are other places it's going to seem very easy. And and, Well, I think part of the question for us this morning is is this how we are? are? Are we we have good genes? We act like we've been out in public before? Do, am I open-minded to what God is doing in the world? Am, am I open to the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Am I open to the fact that God is now working throughout our community? Have I closed my mind to the who God is, where God is working and what God is doing? Am I going to be one of those, well, we've never done it that way before. Does that mean God's never done it that way before? It is an interesting question to pose, isn't it? To dig in and say, I'm going to prove I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Or to go, wait a minute. What is God doing in the world now? How do you read the Bible? Really? Well, first of all, do you read the Bible? That's a good question, do you read the Bible? And I know it's not always easy. Don't try to read it all at once, but read. Do you read the Bible? Some people, some people treat it like it's a magic book, almost afraid to read it and, and, and just kind of, even approaching it just superstitiously every day. And, some people read it like it's a crystal ball. I, I want to read the Bible to figure out the future. I want to read it to predict what's going to happen in the world. I, I want to treat it somehow to predict what's going to happen in my life. Uh, some people read it like it's just a rule book. All, all it is, is is to prove how everybody else is wrong and how I'm right in so many ways. And some people just read it as a history book. Nothing sacred. Nothing holy, just insight into ways people in the past have viewed the world. I want to suggest a couple of ways to do that this week. One is to think about the big picture. Isn't that what Paul was doing? Isn't that what he's doing as he went from synagogue to synagogue, and he's taking week after week after week, and he's going, let let me show you what's happening now, but it's in the big picture. It's the picture that began with a God who creates out of love out of, and still loves all of creation. And when this God creates out of love, that love also means creation has a choice to respond with love or not respond with love. And you have a choice to respond with love or, or not respond with love. And They chose to rebel. It's the story of Adam and Eve, but it's my story, and it's your story as well. And it's also the story of a God of love who does not give up. It's the story of God who will deliver them from Egyptian slavery. It's the story of God who will say, well, even before that, let's, let's, let's step back for a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose you, Abraham. I'm going to make a nation out of you so that you will bless the entire world. I'm gonna make a nation out of you to remind everyone of one God. I'm gonna make a nation out of you to remind everyone of my love for them. I'm gonna make a nation out of you so that everyone will be blessed. And when that mission gets sidetracked or misunderstood, or abandoned. There are prophets along the way who remind. Prophets who nudge at times and rail at other times. And then we have this event of Christ. God loving the world so much. Look, This isn't just about one nation. You've, you've missed it. It, it. This is about every one. Church, Gentiles being grafted into what God has always been doing. This is the story of the God who began in creation and the God who loves and the God who has not given up and the God who still desires to be in relationship with you and with your family and with your community. This is a God who has not given up on that dream, so why would I give up on that dream either? This is a God who sent his own Son so that we can find our way back, forgiveness, salvation, flourishing life, love, community. It really comes down to some big questions, some very grounding questions. If God exists, And God really does love creation. Why would I not want to be a part of that plan? Not a set of rules, do this, do that. This is the best life you can imagine if you'll live as I designed you to live. So there he is Philippi, Thessalonica. Berea, teaching, preaching, some open-minded people, asking, searching, listening. A few weeks after he leaves Thessalonica, he writes a letter to them. Go back and read it this week we call it first Thessalonians it won't take you long it's just a few chapters you can hear his concern you can feel his passion and his love and his worry it's actually the first letter we have in the new testament the new testament isn't arranged chronologically but this is this is the first letter we have and he writes back to these people and he says to them see that No one pays back evil for evil. Always try to do good for each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing back to the city that threw him out. This is Paul writing back to the city where he had to hide. This is Paul writing back to the city where people stirred up a mob, had someone arrested, had to post bond. Because we have the chance to do it differently. You have the chance to do it better. You have a chance to turn the world upside down. And it begins now. Let's pray together. And so Lord we thank you for a love that has permeated our lives. We thank you for your willingness to not just come and teach and preach. Your willingness to suffer and not lash out. Your willingness To die and not seek revenge. The gift of life and hope in the resurrection, the presence of the Holy Spirit. In this moment will you help us to see it can be different. Not what I heard on the news this morning, not the post that I read, not the billboard that I saw, but your dream, your love, King Jesus. Amen. So we invite you this morning to ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Savior that is to help you and to deliver you from where you are In spite of what has been done to you in spite of what you may have done to others From the pain you have experienced and the pain you may have caused From the sins you have committed From the hurt that you carry Christ offers you forgiveness and grace and love and a Reason to get out of bed tomorrow that will turn the world upside down. Will you stand as we worship together?